You are listening to the Invitation Church podcast. To learn more about Invitation Church, visit us online at invitation605.com. You can also download our app on iTunes and Google Play by searching for Invitation 605. So, no bat yet. So we're doing good, I think. So hopefully everybody's still in and uh, a little bit um, better about that situation. But do not worry. Um, when the first couple of years that Michaela and I were married, we lived at USF because it was awesome in the dorm. And we got a ton of bats all the time in that particular dorm. And so the years that we were resident directors there, I think that I captured somewhere around 17 different bats in that time. So we actually had a piece of Tupperware in our apartment that I wrote bat trap on. So just if someone was over and there was a bat, they knew what to do to grab the bat and get it out of there. So we're, we're doing good. Today, we are continuing our series in the book of Acts. And we're at a really interesting moment in the book of Acts. It's one of those moments when we might be tempted to think like, oh, things are going so well. Things are coming together so beautifully, but you're wondering if there's a catch. It's kind of like that moment you're watching a movie and you're, I don't know, you're 37 minutes into the movie and everything's just lining up so well. And you're like, this, this can't be like the end. There's got to be more going on. Like they've overcome all of the things all of the hardship, all of the darkness, all the problems, 37 minutes in, and you just know there's more to come. It's also the moment, I don't know, you're at Costco, and you get through the line, and they tell you your total, and it's like, that can't be right. But like the little kid who's checking, he's so sweet, but this is his first week, and it's just, he's forgotten some things. As It's kind of a little bit in that moment, or like there's a parenting moment when you send the children downstairs because it's just been that kind of a day. You're maybe babysitting and you send the kids downstairs and it's just too quiet. It's too good to be true. This is the moment we're in in the book of Acts. A few weeks ago, Kate Friesen, who's on our teaching team, she did an incredible job wrapping up the 14th chapter of Acts. We have a map that Griffin's going to throw up uh, for us on the screen that kind of shows the first missionary journey of Paul. So he travels some like 400 miles, kind of all over the place. In the book of Acts, we see three different missionary journeys of Paul. So the first missionary journey is 400 miles. The second missionary journey he's about to embark on, it's going to take him three years. He's going to travel like 2,700 miles. And we know in the life of Paul, he travels somewhere like 10,000 miles by walking. And he is a part of establishing like 14 different communities of faith, 14 different churches, 14 groups of people who say yes I want to build my life on the resurrection. I want to build my life on grace. I want to build my life on forgiveness. I want to build my life on the Jesus way and all of the things that I can choose to build my life upon and all the stories that I can claim in my life and for my life, I choose the beauty of Jesus in his way, in his life, in his truth, in his grace, and his forgiveness. 
10,000 miles, 14 communities of faith. And we know in the ancient world that in a, in a day, you could walk like 10 miles in a day. It's about all that you could do because of the road systems and, and all of that. And so what's so beautiful about the book of Acts as we look at the life of Paul, it's just a life of perseverance. It's just a life of day after day, moment after moment. Like the lights don't shine too brightly in the book of Acts. Like there's some incredible moments, but there's some really dark moments in the life of Paul. And so chapter 14 ends, and it's just too perfect. It's just too easy. The, the kingdom's expanding, and Paul is stepping into all these different places. I mean, look at all the places that he's stepping into, and people are receiving the message of Jesus. Like they're saying yes to the Jesus way and God's blessing those communities of faith. And yeah, there's problems. Yeah, there's squabbles. But you read it and it's like, okay, has this person never been in like the pickup line after school at the elementary? Like this just feels like, I don't know, a little too perfect chapter 15, everybody. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers. Some men, we actually mean like Pharisees, like teachers of the law, like people who had it all nailed. Did you have that person in your high school? They just had it all figured out. They had the right last name. Their parents owned that land. They owned that store on the corner. They were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. And I know what you're all thinking. Oh, I'm glad I came to church on the 4th of July weekend so Pastor Dave could talk to me about circumcision. You are welcome. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the brothers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. And some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them, brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you, that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them. And if there is a word, for 2023, for everybody who's got a heartbeat, for everybody who's got breath, 
for everybody who's got a calendar in their phone, it might be that verse. He made no distinction between us and them. If you're looking for a verse for the rest of 2023, that might be one to write on the bathroom mirror. That's not part of the message. That's just happening here. Verse 10. For he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. No, we believe that we are saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ, just as they are. So there's a church in Antioch and there's a church in Jerusalem. And you might be wondering like, well, how far apart are these churches? Is it like here where you can drive down the street, you can blindfold yourself and bump into another church? No, it's about 300 miles. So Paul and Barnabas, they've not had enough walking apparently. And so they decide they're going to walk to Jerusalem from Antioch which 300 miles. And if you could walk 10 miles in a day, I'll let you do the math on how long it would have taken for them to get there. And they get there and they have this discussion. And this discussion is centering around actually what it means to live the Jesus way because there's this group of people who were the them. They were the people on the outside. They were people that weren't born in the right family. Their parents didn't own the store on the corner. They didn't have the right last name. They didn't know all of the things. In the mind of the Jews, they walked around with this sign hanging around their neck that said other, that said unclean, that said out, that said stay away. But something happens in the kingdom of God is that the words of Jesus, the way of Jesus, the, the resurrection that he brings actually pushes open the door to all. So as we read today, that there is no distinction between us and them because of Jesus. So, circumcision. So Paul and Barnabas, they go to talk with the leaders of the church in Jerusalem about what we're going to do. Because the leaders in the church say these really these three powerful words unless you are unless you are circumcised unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses you cannot be saved here's what they're not saying how should we say this in church it's not that the procedure of circumcision somehow saves you. That's not what's being taught here. That's not what even the Pharisees would advocate. They don't really need to build your life around Jesus. You just need to make sure that you're circumcised. No, but what's actually being said here is that the procedure is evidence that you are wrapping your life around Torah. Like the first five books of the Bible, there's all these teachings, all these rules, all these regulations. And for the Jews, they had rules so that they didn't break the rules of Torah. 
So it wasn't just that, hey, we need to obey the rules of Torah. It's like, hey, here's a set of rules so you don't break the rules. And then here's a set of rules so you don't break the set of rules that protects you from breaking the rules of Torah. You know how this goes, right? It's like when someone gives you a gift and it's sort of a joke, right? And there's like, they hand you a big box and you open it. And what is it? It's a box. And then you open that box. And, oh my gosh, amazing, it's another box. And you open that box, and this is what's happening here. And the grace of the Lord Jesus has broken into this and saying, hey, you're, we're not doing that anymore. Like, my life in the world has come to announce a new way of doing things. But the religious leaders, they want to make sure everybody's obeying the rules, so it's not that the procedure saves you, but the, but the procedure is evidence that you're wrapping your life around Torah. And we said way back in the month of September, way back when we started this journey through the book of Acts, that we're going to see two Israels show up in this book. That we're going to see an Israel that has chosen to wrap itself around the temple with all of the stuff that's going on in the temple, all of the sacrifices of the temple, all of the rituals of the temple, all of the customs of the temple. There, we're going to see a group of people who are very, very committed to the temple. They're bowing down to the temple. They're finding their place, their identity, and their hope, and their purpose, and their home in the temple. But there's another Israel that's going to pop up. But you see, this, there's another Israel, and this Israel has wrapped their life around Jesus around his word and his way and his truth and his power. And these Israels are going to fight with one another. And so all of the miracles that pop up in the book of Acts that are done by God through his people are meant to be signs of saying, hey, do not build your life around a building. Don't build your life around a structure. Like build your life around a way of life. Build your life around Jesus. Because when we bow down to a structure and we say we need this structure to have evidence that God is moving in the world, those structures come and go. And we can bow down to structures and we can miss the God that's right in front of us. And that's what happens to the religious leaders and all of the people that have bowed down to the temple that have celebrated and honored the beauty of the temple and they've missed the beauty of Jesus. Oh, that God would save us from that mistake. That we would have God right in front of us in the face of another person and reject them and totally miss the grace that God has come to reveal to us. So there's this central question of the first generation of the church. Do Gentile believers pledge allegiance to Torah like the Jewish boys and girls do? And so that's what they go to Jerusalem to fight about, to have conversation about. And you're like, okay, well, who's at this fight? Whenever there's a fight, you need to know who's involved, who's there. And so we see Peter's there. He's a pretty brash dude. He's kind of one of those ready-fire-aim individuals. He's also a, pe a person who has been radically changed. He's, he's grown up. 
in the way of Jesus. But we also have Paul. He's there. He's another brash individual. He's somebody that used to bow down to Torah, that used to see all of his life rooted in a temple and couldn't see outside of the temple. He lived, he lived in a temple with no windows and no doors. But then God wakes him up. God changes his life on the road to Damascus. So Paul's there. Peter's there. James. This is the brother of Jesus. He's there because he was really central in the church in Jerusalem. And they all kind of share their opinion and they all kind of have this idea of this is how we are going to move forward. So the Pharisees say, unless you are circumcised, and that got me thinking those three words, unless you are. It got me thinking, like, did Jesus ever say those words? Did he ever say, hey, unless you are? And of course he did, and I'm going to tell you. Matthew chapter 18. And Jesus said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes such a child in my name welcomes it. So put that in the equation of unless you are circumcised, you cannot be saved. Jesus says, unless you change, unless you change and become like a little child, you'll miss the kingdom. And it isn't so much that God's going to lock you out of the kingdom. Do you notice that in here? It isn't so much that he's going to like slam the door in your face, but that you'll miss it. So what does having a childlike faith do? It helps us see rightly. It helps us not miss what God's doing right in front of us. Pastor Dave, is there another place where God says, unless, well, of course, that's John chapter 3. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again, unless they begin to wrap their lives not around a building, but around a way, around a person, around a resurrection, around a grace, around a forgiveness, around a, a way of being in the world. You won't see it. Is there another place? Of course there is. Luke chapter 14. Don't worry, it's my last one. We could do this all day, but we'll be done now. Luke chapter 14, you cannot be my disciple unless you love me more than you love your father and mother, your wife and children, and your brothers and sisters. You cannot follow me unless you love me more than you love your own life. You cannot be my disciple unless you carry your own cross and you follow. So let's put that in the equation. When we want to talk about unless you're circumcised, can't be saved. Jesus would knock on the door and say, hey, Peter, hey, Paul, hey, Barnabas, hey, 
little brother, James, let's remember that unless you change and become like little children, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's remember that you can't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Let's remember you can't be my disciple unless you love me more than you love all of the people that are in your life, that are in your story. And that is a ginormous challenge to us in 2023. And of course, he's not saying to hate the people who live in your house. This is not an excuse to have extra familial conflict. No, because Pastor Dave said you got to hate these people. No, no, no. You got to understand that your life, your worth, your identity comes from Jesus. And if you're going to love other people well, the best way to do that is to love him well. If you're going to love yourself well, the best way to do that is to love him well. The best way to deal with all of those people who share your DNA in that house of yours is to love Jesus well. And then verse 11 And this is Paul's life message in one sentence. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved. Just as if there's one thing that Paul's going to talk about in his life and in his ministry, it's going to be that. No, we believe that we are saved by the grace of of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as they are. Paul says, if you're going to wrap your life around anything, wrap it around grace. If you're going to build your life on anything, build it on grace. If you're going to have a message in your life, let it be the message of grace. Because Paul says, why did he say that? That's an amazing question. He says that because he has experienced what happens when you build your life around Torah. When you build your life on following the rules, he talks about this in this letter to the Philippians. So Paul finds himself in jail, and he writes this little letter to this church in the town of Philippi. This is Philippians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. If anybody else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised, oh, there it is, on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, the the right last name, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my prophet, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, a righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Paul says, I've been there, I've done that. It doesn't produce what grace produces. So if you're going to build your life on anything, build it on grace. So no, we're not saved by whatever external evidence you are looking for. We are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, just like they are. I invite the band up as we close tonight.
just one question as we end. Like, why wrap your life around grace? Like, what does that actually do? Does doing that actually produce anything in your life? Or is that some kind of like thing that sounds good in church? But if Paul were standing here today, and we could ask him, like, why wrap yourself around grace? I think he would say two things. First, I think he would say wrapping your life around grace, both grace received and grace extended, both grace that falls on you and grace that falls on them. The reason for that is that it keeps you from living in the wrong story. I mean, I know Blockbuster is dead, but there was a day, let me tell you about it. Friday night, 6.30, and you could walk into, you guys, a video store where that bagel boy sits on Minnesota Avenue now. The Church of God is with me in this moment. You walk into that, and it's just filled with all different kinds of stories, all different kinds of titles. Amazing. It was confusing because you pulled the box off the shelf, and it was empty. And you took it to the front, and they had the movie in the back, and they pushed the movie in there with a little sticker, if you're kind, please, please rewind. And you would take it home and throw it in the VHS. And there is just nothing better than that on a Friday night in 1995. But I think that's just a picture. Man, that there's a lot of stories we can build our life on. The comparison story, the accumulation story, the competition story. And so building your life, wrapping your life around grace helps you live in the story of the one who has come, who has died, who has been raised to life, and who has promised that I'm coming again. What else does building your life on grace do? It saves us from the obsession with perfection. Both for, the, for them and for us. Both from demanding perfection for ourselves, and also demanding perfection from someone else. That unless you have this external evidence, you can't be saved. It helps us with this obsession that we have that has just got to be perfect. Griffith is going to show a picture of Simone Biles. The Summer Olympics are coming again soon. And you're going to see this happen in the Summer Olympics. I don't know that there's anything more difficult in all of sports than the landing she's about to stick right there. And I don't know about you, but like when I'm watching this unfold on TV, I am not expecting her to have a wobbly landing. And if you notice what happens when there is a wobbly landing, the commentator's are like... <sighs> And that's what happens inside of every home when that happens. And can I just tell you that I think we have a world still those people who would say, it's, it's not okay to not stick the landing. It's not, not okay to not get it right every time. And so what happens when we live that way is that there's no room for grace. There's no room for her to be human. 
I mean, I don't know, the, the beam's only a couple of inches. And so building your life on grace just helps you break ties with this obsession that so many of us have to be the perfect parent. Like to be a, a good Christian. Like I wouldn't have doubt, I wouldn't struggle. I wouldn't wonder, I wouldn't question. Helps us break ties with that obsession. Unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught on Moses, you cannot sake. And you can fill in whatever kind of external evidence you want in that verse. It might not be circumcision. You say that weren't in church of people. Damn. Unless you are fill in the blank, whatever it is for you, what you believed in your life, that's what keeps you on the outside of kingdom. But let's ask Jesus, because Jesus says, when you change and become like little children, that helps you enter the kingdom of God. Jesus says that you see the kingdom of God when you're born again. Jesus says when we love him first, when we seek him first, when we hunger and thirst for him, that helps us in our becoming like him. That helps us in our own discipleship. So it's not, so, and here's the thing that happens when we get that stuff right, there's some fruit. There's some external evidence of that relationship, but you cannot harvest something he's not planted. And so my heart for this place is that this place, the experience of people who walk into this place would be that it's grace. That we're not trying to say, hey, unless, 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 unless you have this, you can't be saved. But the experience of people when they walk in this place, that they would, they would hear and they would receive, yeah, this is a group of people that understand unless we change, become like little children, we're going to miss it. That unless we're building our lives, wrapping our lives around Jesus, we're going to miss it unless we're loving him first, we're going to miss it. And I don't want to miss it. I don't want to tonight rag on these Pharisees. Like, how could they possibly think that this was the way forward in life? Because right? it's possible for us. I don't want us to miss grace. Because if we miss grace, we miss the beauty of the temple. And what the temple was seeking to point to, behold the Lamb of God, John 1 29, who takes away sins of the world. Jesus, we thank you tonight for texts we're not really sure what to do with. We thank you tonight for grace. For the grace that calls us by name, for the grace that calls us to follow, for the grace that calls, that calls us to release, to let go, to lay down. For the grace that empowers us to rest in the truth that it's maybe not about always sticking to landing, but it's about calling on your name and seeking your strength. 
and making a purposeful decision in our life to just break ties to the categories of us and them and to instead remember that not only are we to receive grace, we are to extend it. And so to the person who's sitting here tonight and just has a really hard time in receiving grace for themselves, pray that you would help them. And for the person who's sitting here tonight that has a really hard time having grace for other people, for people that don't think like them, live like them, God, I pray you would help them. I pray that you would help us to grow up. I pray that you would help us to see your kingdom. I pray that you would help us to grab hold of it. And I ask God that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that are receptive. Unto you. In Jesus' name and for his wisdom and prayer. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Invitation Church podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message that you just heard and receive every part of it. Every promise from God, every declaration of his great love for you, every word of hope, every reminder that you have been made for more. Allow what you've heard to take root in your soul to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. I also want to encourage you to be part of what we are doing here at Invitation as we invite people to live the way of Jesus. Go to the app and become a regular giver, an investor in the story that God is writing in this place. Also, if you found the message meaningful, we'd love to have you share it with someone else as you partner with us in carrying the message beyond the walls of the church. I want to thank you for being here with us. Grace and peace.